All right, back out of here on The Fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. Jake, you're a big baseball guy. Do you have any idea what happens if they, turn the, in this rain delay they had, Guardians game did end up starting off, but I was I was really curious about Wiz Khalifa. Wiz Khalifa, Pittsburgh native, is thrown out the first pitch at the Pirates game. He put out there to TMZ that he was finna get stoned AF. So, all right, you go, you do you, Wiz Khalifa. I ain't here to judge any sort of... Uh, Things that you end up doing, but I, I, I just didn't know if, uh, if they have a. Now, Jake, you worked in minor league baseball, is that right? Yes, I did. All right. So, what happens if you are scheduled to throw out the first pitch, but then there's a rain delay that moves the first pitch back? Do you still get to throw out the first pitch, or do they cancel the first pitch? So, normally, you would still get to throw out the first pitch because the field's ready to go, unless there's some reason why the field wouldn't be on the mound. That would be the only reason. I imagine Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa still threw out the first pitch. I got to look for video of this then. I, I got to know. I mean, I got to know if Wiz Khalifa did anything good with this. I, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, there's no way they. Uh, what do you What do you do in that scenario? Because because the the field's so wet, they don't want you out there to begin with anyway. They barely want the players out there. But what if you throw out the first pitch, and then like they're getting ready for the lineup cards and everything else, and then they delay the game? Do you have to come back out an hour later and do like another first pitch, or did your time come and go? I would hope it had come and gone, right? You don't get to throw out two first pitches. It's bad enough they got ten people lining up there to throw out the first one as it is. Yeah, I don't think you get two, but I, I kind of want to see you at least get one. I'm going to be honest about it. It's the only way I can be. Uh, okay, all right. I saw. I see video now. I see video. I for a second there, I didn't see video. I was like, I don't see. I don't see any video of Wiz Khalifa throwing out a first pitch. I see the video. He did get out there and was able to do it. But it does look like, I don't know, this one might have been delayed. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, this one might have been, excuse me, this one might have been an hour before. We'll get our crack production staff on that one. I'm not sure how we figured this out. We might need, like, uh, uh, what's the dude on TikTok that can find you wherever you are? We need someone like that to be our investigative team to find out what, exactly what time this Wiz Khalifa pitch was. Uh, awful pitch, by the way. The exact pitch you would expect Wiz Khalifa to make. I would practice for weeks if I had that opportunity. Weeks. We talked about that with my boss when Andrew Siciliano was in town because Siciliano threw out the first pitch. He's good friends with my boss. And I was like, what do you, what do you do in that scenario? Do you, do you, you go out there for, how many days in a row can you go out there throwing a baseball to make sure you don't look like an idiot? Two, three, four? I said weeks. I don't know that you can actually do anything more than three days without being like, all right, I got, I got the point. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. Uh, two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Question I asked you guys, and we spent the first hour on. You can go Odyssey Rewind. Who helps who more this year? Does Watson help Chubb or does Chubb help Watson? Lance and Painesville. Up next in the fan. Well, Lance. Fabulous, JP. What's going on, man? Lance, what's up, man? How are you? All right. Uh, definitely, Deshaun definitely helps uh, Nick Chubb more because if he has a big year, Deshaun. Chubb can have, you know, a thousand yards, twelve million yards, fifteen hundred yards. But if the Deshaun has a big it's a quarterback league, all the weapons that the Browns have on the outside, tight end position, it, it definitely Nick Chubb, he's a great workhorse, but you know how it is with running backs. Sooner or later, the wear and tear so Deshaun is going to have to he's going to have to have a big season now in order if the Browns are going to make a 
playoff push, Super Bowl push. Yeah. They, they got to do it now. There's no tomorrow. And so Deshaun Watson has to have a big season. He has to have a Houston plus. He has to have a Houston Texans 2.0 season this year, right now. And Nick Chubb, you know, he don't even have to have a big, big season. When I mean by big, I mean 1,500 or more. But it would help. But Deshaun, this is about Deshaun. He's going to have the big season right now. All righty. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate you as always, man. Two one six four seven four to one ninety two. Let me expand on that for a second. The reason why I think it can be a discussion is because I think a lot of people's answer is going to be Deshaun helps out Chubb because I've been laying it out for the previous hour how much I think Deshaun is going to help out Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb's never had a, a quarterback like that. He's never had somebody that the defense has to keep as honest offensively as they have to keep him as honest. It's just not a thing that he's ever been able to have with the exception of maybe maybe a nine-week stretch from Baker Mayfield that obviously culminated in a postseason appearance, a beating of Pittsburgh in the postseason, and a 13-yard Chad Henney play away from, you know, who knows? Who knows? But how Chubb is going to help Watson, I think, is the – if that's in the undercard for the discussion, I think we need to highlight it just a little bit here. Nick Chubb is going to help out Deshaun Watson because Nick Chubb, even though offenses know that they have to pay more attention to Deshaun Watson, if at any given point Deshaun Watson isn't feeling it, doesn't have it, Nick Chubb is your break glass in case of emergency. Nick Chubb is a literal walking get-out-of-jail-free card for Deshaun Watson. Anytime he's in trouble, anytime he's confused with what the defense is giving coverage-wise, anytime he's just, uh, maybe he's doing what he did in that Houston game. And I'm not expecting this to happen a lot, okay? He is a professional. He is. I'm expecting him to have a really good season this year. But you guys know it the way at you and your job don't always have the best of days. Some days you're off, some days you're on, some days you're off. Now what makes a quarterback truly elite is that even when Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is at games where he struggles. Let's not uh, conflate that. He had a game last year. He had three interceptions in that game, and they still ended up winning the game. But he had three interceptions in that game, okay? He had some miserable passes, back-to-back drives. He threw an interception, then another interception. Week 15 last year. Go look it back up. It happens. I have radio shows where I'm like, hey, I was great one day. Next day, wish I could have had a couple segments back. Like We all have it. Whatever your job is, you're good one day. You're not as good the next day. That's why there's... There's levels to all this. Anytime Deshaun Watson has one of those games, maybe it looks a little bit like that Houston game last year where that was his first game back and he just kept throwing a bunch of balls right in the dirt and just had a bunch of just, it was bad throws after bad throws. He looked like he hadn't seen a football field in his entire life, right? Anytime you get any of those type of games. Well, the answer then is simple. The answer then at that point is just go to Nick Chubb and have and let Nick Chubb go ahead and beat up that defense the way that Nick Chubb can. It is It is your... Break glass in case of emergency, but it's not like it's the end of the world if you have to break that glass. That's that's the, the the big point here. So even though I would agree with a lot of the callers and the tweeters and the people that have got in here, because that was part of my main argument to begin with, I do think one hand will wash the other, and both sides are going to be beneficial for this. But I also love the idea that 
Nick Chubb can help out Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson will have a great impact on Nick Chubb this year, and he's going to let him do a bunch of different things that we haven't seen him be able to do in years past, which is incredible coming from a guy that, when I looked it up earlier, averaging 5.2 yards per carry in his career is the second-best mark in NFL history tied with Jim Brown. Think about that for a second. Now, the hard part for the Browns' offense, if we can move the conversation forward just a little bit, is that you are creating a unicorn. You are creating a true one-of-one situation. And that works until it doesn't. Like, my my big problem with baseball this last year was baseball, I feel like, and they, they've kind of shown me with L.A. De La Cruz, they got a, an answer out of this. My big problem with baseball is, okay, great, you made Shohei Otani a superstar. Can you do it again? He's a unicorn. How do you recreate that? You know, when you have a one-of-one situation, it makes it incredibly tough. Taylor Swift is a blessing for many, but if she were to stop playing music tomorrow, there's a hole out there in the world, right? She's a true one-of-one. Nick Chubb, if he didn't end up playing for the Browns, would leave a massive hole for this team. We'd cross that bridge when we get there, but if you're telling me he's averaging six yards per carry like Stump Mitchell is suggesting, then I want to hear that. I want to see that. I want to see what that looks like. I want to see exactly how that makes Deshaun Watson that much better at his job because I feel like he will be made that much better at his job. That's why I find the whole running backs are devalued part of this argument. I just There's parts of it I get, and there's parts of it I don't get. The game has gone so heavy towards stopping the pass. At some point, we will get a situation where the players that are drafted are geared towards stopping the pass, and schemes are geared towards that as well. And if you have a running back that can go six yards a pop, you're going to be uh, on a gravy train with biscuit wheels. You're going to be set up perfect. The game... Oh, man, I wish I could remember who this was now. We had a draft guy on, a, a big uh, a big mock draft guru type guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. Was it Ian Warden? Might have been Ian Warden, NFL Film Study. We had him on uh, right before the draft, right before everything got underway, and he's telling me about the trends, and he's telling me about the different things that he's seeing across the NFL. And when a guy like that that eats, sleeps, and breathes, NFL draft gets on the radio show. You, you pay attention for a couple of different reasons. What I like to find out of those guys is, is what trends are changing within the game. What, what is different today that wasn't there five years ago? What is different today that wasn't there three years ago? What will be there three years from now that isn't there right now? I like that type of stuff. It, it typically, I ask those questions because then you get ahead of the curve is all it is. That's why sometimes I say things. And you guys might hear it, and you might think that's a little wonky, that's a little out there. And it's just because I've I've done the research on this, and I know the I know the way the league is trending, and so I'm just a little bit ahead of where everybody else tends to typically be. And so because of that, it's like a, a, the, I'm waiting for the rest of the media world to play catch up here, right? Because some people are talking about it, but not enough people. It happens at baseball all the time for myself. I, you just you're 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 here, and then it. It's like it's like clothes in certain parts of the country, right? L.A. gets clothes and New York gets clothes about a year or two quicker than what, let's say, uh, uh, Kansas City or Boston does. So anyway, talking to Ian Wharton, and Ian Wharton was making the idea and the suggestion that the running back actually will have a a massive boom coming up, and it's going to be in a good spot in a couple years for some of the reasons that we talked about, where the these NFL teams are now drafting players. And they're making these schemes all with the idea of how do we stop Patrick Mahomes? How do we stop player X, Y, or Z? And it's usually just how do we stop big, 
big-name quarterback. Not necessarily how do we stop big-name running back. They're not as worried about stopping Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb in the previous five years haven't won as much as a stuffed teddy bear while trying to be the focal points of the offense. They're not worried about the running game. But if you get someone that can average six yards a pop, you're going above and beyond what the expectations could be. That's why I think it's so interesting. And he might get there if Deshaun Watson plays the way that we think Deshaun Watson can play. Deshaun Watson's a top 10 quarterback. The difference maker for the Browns, if everyone's got a really good quarterback in the AFC, might just be what happens with Nick Chubb. Because at that point, you're trying to find what separates teams. I know what separates the Bengals. There are three wide receivers separate them from other teams. There are three wide receivers are something Kansas City doesn't have. Buffalo doesn't have. Buffalo doesn't have a, a Jamar Chase and then a T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Excuse me, I almost blanked on T. Higgins there for a second. They don't have one of those, though. They don't, they don't go three deep in their wide receiver. They go Allen into Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is barely a number two at best. You know, Kansas City doesn't have that. They go Travis Kelsey into Valdez Scantling. Uh, it's, just, it's not, it's not reality. Every, you gotta find something that makes you unique, something that makes you stand out, something that at the end of the day you go, I get why they're having a bunch of success. All right, leave that there, but come on back. How much Joe Burrow made last year, or last week, excuse me, or staying with me about him and Jamar Chase? And I want to relate that to something Mary Kay had to say on earlier today with Afternoon Drive and why exactly the Browns are headed to the Greenbrier. We'll do it next. 216-474-0092 on Twitter. There you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. It's overtime. Jonathan Peterlin here with you on The Fan. All righty, back at it here on The Fan. We'll get to Mary Kay Cabot, her thoughts on the Greenbrier, and what I think is fascinating about them going to West Virginia. I was going to make a joke and, and tell Dominic who uh, sings the West Virginia song, you know, the one I'm not going to sing because I don't sing on the air, which we which we established earlier. Uh, turns out I know, uh, unless, it's, unless it's country, I don't know who sings anything is the, is the real point here. I got a lot of tweets. Country Roads is John Denver. It's John Denver. Thank you very much. John Denver. I get a lot of, I got a lot of tweets and, and feedback in between the break. That's what I'm going to call. I'm going to call it feedback, okay? That the song I was thinking of, the once, twice, three times a lady, that's Lionel Richie. But there was a lot, I looked it up, there's a lot of other people that sang once, twice, three times a lady, okay? There was, uh, Kenny Rogers did it at some point. Something called The Shadows did it as well. There, the, the Commodores, which might actually be Lionel Richie. Not entirely sure how that works. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of people that sang. Once, twice, three times a lady. I think the songs that I'm the most fascinated by are the ones that I don't know what artist it is, and then I bring it up, and then I'm going through my brain like which one is which. Before we get to Mary Kay Cabot, though, one other thing I want to bring up really quickly that uh, was amazing to me as well. That I'm watching the the American Century Championship with a buddy of mine over the weekend, which if that doesn't tell you I had a, a extremely interesting weekend, I don't know what will. They were fascinated by it, though, and I thought that was interesting. All these different celebrities, all these different people. And what's amazing to me, at least, and we'll get to the, the big part of this, was well, a couple of things. At one point on hole 12 on Sunday, Charles Barkley was the only player to have birdied that hole all day. What are the odds of that? You get 90-plus guys, and Charles Barkley is the only one with a birdie on a hole throughout the entire day. Baker Mayfield was there. It felt like a quarterback fest. Josh Allen was there. Patrick Mahomes was there. Baker Mayfield was there. Derek Carr was there. It was like every every other hole had some quarterback in the NFL at this thing. It really was. It was athletes over what you would actually consider to be Hollywood celebrities. 
Like the biggest Hollywood celebrity, in my opinion, was maybe. I mean, I'm sure there, there were bigger guys there, but like the Miz was there, Larry the Cable Guy was there, Nate Bargatze was there. To give you a feel for who was there and who wasn't there, okay? It wasn't really a who's who of big time celebrities. Nice celebrities, you know, but not who's who. John Elway was there, Jerry Rice was there, bunch of athletes. I'm going to dub that one the athlete event moving forward. But did you guys see Steph Curry in that hole in one? Oh my goodness. And I was explaining to the friend of mine. They say, you know, you golf a lot. Where are you in relation to Steph Curry as far as talent is concerned on the golf course? Because everyone's losing their mind that Steph Curry could go pro or something. As far as I knew, Steph Curry was like a seven handicap, which is, it's good. It's good, but for the amount of resources he has and the amount of ability he has to play as often as he does, again, during the NBA season, he obviously doesn't have as much time as you would think. Steph Curry's got a lot of time. You and I have nine to five jobs. We have days. You guys know I don't have a nine to five job because I'm on at 825. But I have the idea of a nine to five job is the point here. Okay. I I got things I got to do. I got things I got to, you know, I got a house I got to take care of. I got things I have to do. A baby I got to take care of. There's a lot of things Steph Curry in life. No part of me in the history of my life, as much as I love golf, has ever been able to go to Tahoe for a three day golf excursion. I've never done a three day golf excursion in my life in general where I've been able to golf legitimately three days straight. I'd like to get there one day, but I've never done that. Steph Curry gets to do those type of things. For as good as he is and the resources that he has, I don't think we should think that an all-time world-class athlete is all of a sudden God's gift to golf. I, it, just, can we just, it just bothered me. He's like a seven handicap. He's good, but he's also not going to go pro tomorrow. And so we won the event because the event is a stable Ford event, which is it's just a different scoring. It's a different way to do it. Uh, on a normal basis, Tony Romo would just absolutely destroy Steph Curry. I watched him on a couple different holes make shots that a seven handicap would make, okay? Let's put it that way. I don't know why it bothered me so much. I was watching the event because of Steph Curry. That was where the interest came to me. I once I knew he was up close top to the leaderboard, I was like, I got to see what happens here. I got to see how this all goes down. So I'm watching the event because of Steph Curry and because I thought it'd be cool if he won. But ultimately, it just ended up making me more agitated than anything else. I was like, how are we thinking he's like some sort of two-sport athlete all of a sudden? You know, I got on, I get on Mookie Betts every now and then, and this is where I'm going to have to draw it back a little bit. Mookie Betts is... Baseball player and bowler in a lot of people's eyes. They think he's like an awesome bowler. He's fine. He's fine. Because he did a couple U.S. Opens, which, by the way, are not impossible to go out and do. He's fine. It's not great, but he's great for bowling because bowling needs somebody that's awesome at their respective sport to then love that sport as much as possible and then prop it up. That's why I've never had an issue with Mookie Betts. Never had an issue with him proclaiming to be anything better than what he was or is. Most scenarios, though, the same way if if Steph Curry went out and tried to play against Bryson DeChambeau, DeChambeau would de-pants him. It wouldn't even be close. It'd be like they were playing two different sports. But golf thinks Steph Curry being their face as far as the celebrity is a cool thing, and I can't disagree with him. I can't. He's on YouTube videos with different social media golfers. He always pops up at different golf courses. Josh Allen's another one of these guys. 
Josh Allen goes and plays the different courses after the major events are done, and he's a big advocate. He's got his own golf ball. I, I just, I, at some point, you got to stop hating. At some point, you just got to turn around and say, "Okay, fine." He he might not be the Deion Sanders, the Bo Jackson that you think he is. He's not this all-world two-sport athlete. But you know what? If he's gonna support the game and he's gonna grow the game, then fine. Then okay. But Steph Curry, I just needed to stop. That conversation. He won the tournament. Congratulations to Steph. I'll never forget seeing that video of him during the NBA Finals going to, I think it was a Dick's Sporting Goods, but it was one It was one of Golf Store. I don't know exactly what the video was, uh, what, what Golf Store he was going into, but he was like getting his clubs regripped during the NBA Finals. Like, I, I know he's a big golfer. I know he, I know he tries really hard to come across like he is a Bo Jackson type. Hey, you're not Kyler Murray. Kyra Murray, drafted by the A's in the first round, also taken number one overall in the NFL. Just, you're just not. You're good. You're good. You're not great. 216474 to below 92. All right, Dylan, up next on the fan. Hello, Dylan. Oh, hey. What's up, Dylan? Oh, no, I just, um, I mean, Steph Curry, he's, he's a super great athlete when it comes to basketball. And, and you know, he has like no time. You don't just hit all of those threes, to be honest. With, like, no time. You have to put in the time to practice. And I really think if he really wanted to get the coaching he needed to play golf well, which he clearly has the talent. I mean, a hole-in-one is, like, you, you get struck by lightning more often than you get a hole-in-one is what I'm trying to say. And I just think that Seth Curry is, I mean, for a seven handicap, for being a professional basketball player is pretty stellar, I would say. Oh, I mean, it's, again, he's, he's really, and, and thank you, Dylan. I appreciate you, man. Like, he's really talented. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He is incredibly talented to be able to do anything at that point, but he's also a world-class athlete. Shouldn't a world-class athlete also be able to do some other sports? I just I think sometimes we go a little too crazy in giving some of these guys a little too much credit for being to be able to be awesome at multiple sports. It's like you are legitimately the very best in sports we have. Why is it a big shocker that all? Like, I I don't know. Maybe this is just. Maybe it was, it was a phase that we went through where everyone was so specialized in what sport they were. For the longest time, it felt like everyone just started to, they, they, they bucked that trend. When I was growing up, people played as many sports as you possibly could because you just, that's just what you did. You just, you did as many sports as you possibly could. You didn't even think twice about it. And then like, I don't know, we got a little bit older and then all of a sudden you started to see kids. If you're a baseball player, you're only a baseball player. If you're a football player, you're only a football player. And then, we started losing out on guys. Patrick Mahomes is a great example of this. Patrick Mahomes, in watching that uh, that quarterback documentary, something I learned about him that I didn't know. Patrick Mahomes didn't start a high school football game until his junior year. Think about that. The greatest quarterback we've ever seen, for my two eyes, Tom Brady's is that for a lot of people, I think Mahomes, when it's all said and done, is going to be considered the greatest, okay? Didn't start a football game until his junior year of high school. He was a baseball player. His dad was a baseball player. He became a baseball player. He loved baseball. Then at some point, clearly, someone in that high school put together the fact that he could throw the ball 95 miles per hour and was like, hey, maybe you should be our football, maybe you should be our quarterback. And then the rest is history, as they say. And he just took off. That's why at Texas Tech, you know, anytime you talk to anyone at Texas Tech when Mahomes was there, it was like, yeah, he was good. 
He wasn't the Patrick Mahomes you see. Well, yeah, because at the time, you don't even play in the sport for three years. Could you imagine? Could you imagine playing just your junior and senior year and then getting an offer and playing at Texas Tech? That's insane how talented you have to be. It's just a different world, though. It's just different. But he was able to be great. He was able to make all these throws because he was so great at baseball and then just transitioned that to football. We need to stop being so impressed with athletes that can do multiple things is the point. So congratulations to Steph Curry, okay? Congratulations to him. I really do mean it. The hole-in-one would have been cooler if Steph had, I don't know, let's say dunked it and then just celebrated with the people that were there as opposed to dunked it and then ran up and then, I don't know, like high-fived the the hole or something. It was weird. Like the flag stick, he went up and like punched the flag stick as if it was a (laughs) high-five. So weird. Uh, Every now and then I think about it. And, Dominic, you might laugh at me. Every now and then I think about what my hole-in-one, when I eventually do get a hole-in-one, I think about what my celebration is going to be. I think it's a pretty normal thing. I wouldn't laugh at you for that. I envision you... Hitting a hole in one one day. Not me. I'm not going to be there, but I'm, no. I can't wait to hear about it because it's going to happen one day. I know. Uh, well, I feel it. I already know when it's going to happen. It's going to be when I go on a solo round and I'm playing by myself, and then I get the hole in one, and I have legitimately nobody to celebrate it with, and I'm just going to be. I just. I don't know what I'll do. I might just walk off the course. You know, I, I played that thought in my head before, like hole four, hitting a hole in one, going up, grabbing the ball, putting it in the pocket, and then just simply walking off the course. And then just not telling anybody. You know, if a tree falls in the middle of the woods and no one, no one's there to see it, who would believe me? They make a noise. Who would believe I'm me? I'm just saying. I what, what am I going to do? I think at that point, I think I got to take out the video. Here's the plan: I got to take out the video of my cell phone, take out the cell phone, and then video me from the tee box walking up to the hole. But even there, people could be like, "It's staged. It's not real." You could just record yourself every time you're at a par three. That seems insane. It's, it's that's, insane. That, that seems insane. But it's an idea. But that's also the type of thing I love. I love people that do that. It's like uh, they they video it and their friends are videoing it, and then it goes in and they they celebrate like crazy. And I've watched enough of these hole in one videos. You have no idea if the ball went in. You have zero idea if the ball went in. You have no idea. You're just seeing it go up in the air. I could make a fake video where it's me just teeing off. Looks like it goes in the direction. Lose my mind, wait like five seconds, lose my mind, and no one would know the difference. Promise you. But, uh, yeah, that's what's, it's totally going to happen. It's not going to happen when I'm golfing with people. It's going to happen when I'm golfing solo, and then I'm just, I'm simply going to grab the ball out of the cup. I'm going to take my golf bag. I'm going to walk off. I'm going to go to the clubhouse. I'm going to say, do you have anything for people that just hit a hole-in-one? They're going to say, yeah, we got a, we got a flag, or we got a this, or we got a that. I'll say, Okay, I just had a hole in one. They'll give me that respective thing, and then I'll drive home and not tell a soul. Maybe my father-in-law, because I golf a lot with him, so maybe he deserves to know. But outside of that, just not tell a soul. If I do it with people, though, then it's going to be like I just won the lottery. Then it's just going to be an absolute madhouse. All right, leave that there. We come on back. Let's get to Mary Kay Cabot, her thoughts on the Greenbrier, and why I think it's so important for the Browns. Uh, Odyssey Rewind, go back on the app. First hour of the show, bunch of Browns talk, a lot of conversations in there about Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson if you if you want that type of thing. 216-474-0092. We'll get to Mary Kay, her thoughts on the Greenbrier next. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan. All right, fan focus coming your way in 20 minutes. My buddy Slater texted me. 
Spider's the one that, uh, yeah, he calls every now and then, but then I uh, I was going to go out and meet him for golf in Colorado for my brother-in-law's, he had his, his, you know, his bachelor party out there, and there was a day that I had open, and I was going to meet him in <laughs> where I thought I was going in Colorado, and then I, it turns out I had the place in Colorado completely wrong. I was going to Grand Lake, Colorado, not Colorado Springs, Colorado. I basically went on a, a bachelor party and was off by like three hours to where my destination actually was. I just knew I was going to the Denver airport and somebody was driving me from there and I was convinced it was Colorado Springs. And I put that in my brain and this bird brain of mine just never thought twice about it. And then I started making plans with Slater and then I put together, I'm like, oh no, oh no, we are, we are going nowhere close to where I thought we were going. Uh, but he says, I made a 93 foot putt in practice, but nobody was here to see it. Did it really happen? No, I mean, congrats on the nice putt, but yeah, I don't know what to tell you there. I'm sorry. Uh, you make a hole in one and nobody's there to see it. it. It happens, but good luck getting people to believe it. Good luck getting people to to really buy into it. Maybe I would do a whole segment on what do you do if you make a hole in one and no one's there to see it? And then at the very end of the segment, after you guys gave your input, you guys you guys gave your voice to it, then I would be like Now I need to let you guys all know that person was me. And then, like, I'm the mass magician on Fox 20 years ago. I'm just, I'm just unmasking myself and revealing myself for the world as I, Jonathan Peterman, was the person that hit the hole in one. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet, won't happen for a while, I would imagine, uh, if ever. So that's fun to think about. Mary Kay Cabot. On afternoon drive earlier today, and I was just, I was thinking about the, you know, the question Nick had to her was basically, why are they going to the Greenbrier? Which is a very similar question that Dominic was asking in between one of the breaks. He's like, why West Virginia? Why the Greenbrier? And I think, I think it's funny that so many people are looking at it from that perspective. And I'll get you Mary Kay's perspective because I think it was right in just a moment. But I was thinking about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And Joe Burrow made a comment to Complex Magazine about a week and a half ago, and he said the best players must be close to be a great team. And the reason why people were discussing it at the time was that you have this Stephon Diggs-Josh Allen drama that's just hanging over Buffalo. It's a lot of problems around those two in that situation. Stephon Diggs, he, he gets this way, though. It happened in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. It's happening now with Josh Allen. OBJ and Baker failed because OBJ and Baker didn't get along. It was fine until it wasn't. And once it's not fine, there's no making it fine. They don't have relationship counselors for athletes. That's not how this works. You get the toothpaste out of the tube, there's no putting it back in. Look at NFL history. And look at the teams that really seem like they've had it figured out in recent years. Gronk and Edelman, both with Brady. Mahomes and Kelsey do golf tournaments. I was watching the American Century Championship in Tahoe this past weekend. Who was playing in the same foursome? Mahomes and Kelsey. Same people that did the match three weeks prior or whatever the hell it was. It's Mahomes and it's Kelsey. The two of them are they are tied at the hip. It's incredible. They're good buddies. You know, one reason why I thought the Bengals were smart to take Chase was that they played together at LSU, and so the connection was already there. They were going to take Panay Sewell. They decided not to. They took Jamar Chase because they had that LSU connection. Watson and Cooper, or let's say Watson and even Nick Chubb, all these guys, the best players on offense for the Browns, don't really know each other that same way. The Browns right now feel like going to a summer camp for the first time and meeting all new people or people maybe you vaguely know but haven't spent much time with. It's showing up to a party. 
You ever show up to a party, you know, the host of the party who's busy, like, mingling and, and showing everyone where the refreshments are and making sure that, you know, they're not running out of vodka and wine and everything else? And then it's like, go, yeah, just mingle, hang out, have a good time. You're like, I don't know anybody here. That's basically what the Browns are right now. I, I, I might know a person, might know two people, but Elijah Moore knows who on this Browns roster? That's who they are. And this is why Stefanski, in my opinion, is going to the Greenbrier. So Mary Kay Cabot on earlier today spoke to that. Here we go. There's a couple of reasons that they're going. The first one is the fact that they're playing in this Hall of Fame game. They have to start camp a week early. And I think it was a way for Kevin Stefanski to try to get guys kind of excited to come back early, fired up about coming back early instead of just going straight to Berea where they're going to be for many, many, many months. So that was it. And then I think, you know, they really hope to get a lot of bonding and camaraderie. When you're in Berea every single day and there's no differentiation between training camp and the start of the regular season it just all feels the same and i think they hope that this brings some new energy some new bonding there will be or should be things to do there in some of the downtime in terms of maybe playing some recreational sports a little bit or just swimming or whatever you know there'll be plenty to do there they can rest relax hang out you know whatever so i think that he's really hoping it it helps with the culture change because they did have an issue with that last year where they just weren't necessarily a team and so i think these are some of the things he hopes to gain that's some of the things i hope that they gain as well now if you guys have looked into the green briar you guys know it is basically it is disneyland for adults they have all the things that you would want as an adult going somewhere to vacation they have pickleball courts they have tennis courts they have golf courses they have spas they have massages it is basically an awesome resort while they also have full-length football fields and presidents have stayed there like it's a it's fine dining while also then giving you everything that you would expect that you would have at a country club. It's basically them them going to a football's version of a country club for a week on the Browns dime. What couldn't be awesome about that? They're going to love it. They're going to have a great time. But the important, and I think the reason why the, the Browns are doing it this year as opposed to maybe some of the years past is that you watch this team absolutely implode last season when it came to the bonding side of things. Not necessarily the offense, but more the defensive side of the ball. Jadavion Clowney just completely going scorched earth on everybody. John Johnson third should not have spoke as often and as direct as he did for how little of a contributor to that football team he actually was. Consistently out there speaking about the differences that that team had and should have had. Listen, from a content perspective, I absolutely ate it up. John Johnson the third can speak that way all day, every day, as far as I'm concerned, but probably shouldn't have been speaking that way. There was a culture problem. There was also a let's get along problem. What's the easiest way to fix that? Has ever worked in like a corporate setting or in any sort of offices? They spend hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars every single year across America working on this specific issue. You know, you ever do a trust fall? Oh man, I used to hate doing trust falls. Just in, I just remember in different instances in college, for some reason, they kept making me do trust falls. And I don't know why, but it was like the idea behind it. As best as I could gather, the, the, the little team-building exercises. All right, 
You, so you do those things. And the idea behind it is then you trust the person a little bit more and you have more belief in that person. And if you're going to trust them with you falling down and not breaking your neck, then I guess you'll trust them with making sure the spreadsheet gets in time. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing we do in society, but we do it. And we do it because it works. Ultimately, it works. OBJ and Baker never stood a chance when his dad was out here on YouTube, okay? We've seen too many relationships in the NFL fail. Tyreek Hill wanted too many footballs, didn't get along with Mahomes the same way that Kelsey did, and he was sent out. You've seen it once, you've seen it a million times. The Browns don't have beef as of right now. They also don't have the love either. They're in football limbo when it comes to this discussion, and there's no clear-cut answer one way or another. But what I do know is that you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. When it comes to having a relationship go sour, it becomes really tough to make it all work. And I wonder if this is just a, you know, I, I think about this in sports all the time. I wonder if this is just a football-exclusive idea. Because we've seen in baseball there be success. We have. Bauer and Clevenger really bonded in that Guardians rotation. They really got along well. But I don't believe that's why they had the success that they did in their time within the Indians. I, I really don't believe that's it. They, now, what they bonded over was being really problematic humans, but that's a different story for a different time. But they bonded. Meanwhile, LeBron and Kyrie, if they never talked again, I'm not sure anyone would lose any sleep over it. It might be, might just be a football thing. I can come up with a million different examples. Quarterback, wide receiver, skill position players, like Joe Burrow is talking about, where them getting along really, truly does matter. So the Greenbrier is a perfect fit. Now, the difference here, and why I think this is different than, let's say, the Bengals going to the Greenbrier, is that we have a Miles Garrett. You know, Joe Burrow talked about the skill position players, but he didn't have to talk about Trey Hendrickson. You know, that he's a good part of the defense, very talented player. At one point, I remember campaigning for Trey Hendrickson when he was uh, coming off New Orleans, coming off a big season with the Saints. He had one really good year with New Orleans and then was about to get paid, and I said the Browns should go out and pay him. <laughs> I made a case, made a big-time case. It did all sorts of hours talking about Trey Hendrickson, and he was phenomenal for the Bengals. He's been phenomenal. But they don't have a star on that defense that is the same as a Miles Garrett, let's say. Having the star players not get along feels like a handicap that's too hard to overcome. It's like being told to play your entire round with a 7-iron. Good luck. Good luck out there. Let's see how it works for you. So I think a lot of this within Kevin Stefanski is understanding what happened that was wrong last year and then trying to correct it for this year. I think Mary Kay is right about the first part as well. The idea that sometimes Berea can get exhausting, sometimes just training camp in Berea into the regular season in Berea kind of feels just boring, let's put it that way. Same thing, wash, rinse, repeat, day in, day out. This mixes it up a little bit. It's like starting... Your school year as a child with a field trip. That's pretty fun. That's exciting. You're like, wait, day one, we get to go on a field trip? We don't have to, like, you know, study about the Lincoln Memorial for 12 hours first? Day one, we get to go? Let's do this thing. And I think that's what he's kind of going for. Mix it up a little bit. He knows it's a long season. But ultimately, let's get these guys bonding. Let's get these guys getting along. Deshaun Watson knows a lot of these players, having spent a lot of time with them in the offseason. But there's only so much you can do a week here, a week there, a week here, leading up to this year. How about basically going to summer camp with these guys where you spend seven days sleeping in the same hotel room, going to eat together every single meal, 
pickleball, golf course. Deshaun apparently is golfing a ton. His caddy called in earlier today. Did you hear that convo? My goodness. A lot of these things, though, just it's, just it's an easy thing to do for the Browns. So I'm happy they're doing it, and I'm happy that it feels like they're listening to some of the other conversations that are taking place around the NFL, like when Joe Burrow says, with Jamar Chase, the skill position players, they got to be close if you want to be good. Leave that there. We come on back. We got the fan focus. We got off the beaten path coming your way at 940. We'll also get to the latest with DeAndre Hopkins. I, I don't think the Browns were used. A lot of people thinking the Browns were used. I don't think they were used. We'll get to that coming up at 920. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle in here with you on the fan.